Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Yes, that means you are listening to the Mystery of Parenthood, and I'm Trey Cashin, along with Thaddeus Romanski. And so, um, why don't you slow down and um, and take a listen? We'll begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity. Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so we're really excited. We have um, one of our regulars, uh, Dr. Sarah Bartell, with us. And, and we're going to talk about some really cool stuff um, with regard, and timely, I think, as we go in, as we're in Advent and in the Christmas season. Um, but before, we'd like to welcome Dr. Sarah Bartell. And, and we're going to talk about one quick topic so that we can kind of touch base on all that she's doing that's not necessarily um, fully encapsulated by the topic of the day. Anyway, <laughs> uh, how many big words? But anyway, Dr. Bartell, Dr. Sarah, <laughs> glad that you're uh, here. I'm going to call you Sarah from now on. But, Please. Yeah. yeah. I prefer that. Yeah. But Sarah, thank you for being here. And Thaddeus, you're here. But um, hey, tell hey, us hey. about uh, Cain of Feast. And we're going to talk about one thing in particular from that, but about what you're doing so that people can – um, tap into the, your great resources and, and learn from you. Well, thank you so much. It is always great to talk with you. And yeah, it's been really exciting. What we're creating is an online membership for couples, Catholic couples, to strengthen their marriage and family life. Um, but especially to really focus on that relationship they have with each other, to grow closer to each other and closer to God. And we have created a free resource to help inspire that. Free is really good. Always good. Yeah, free is really good. And we really had fun doing it because what we did is we talked to other rock star Catholic couples. You know, these are Catholic couples whose names you may be familiar with if you're, you know, reading Catholic books about marriage or looking online. Um, And we wanted to ask them, how are they praying together in real life? Because a lot of times, we don't see how other couples are praying together inside their marriage. So it's really a privileged glimpse into, you know, how this is actually happening. So some listeners might be familiar with Spoken Bride, um, and that's an online Catholic bride, uh, like, lifestyle blog. And that was created by Stephanie Callis, who um, shared with us how she and her husband pray together. Um, there's also the examples from my grad school teacher, John Grabowski, and his wife, Claire. They're on the Pontifical Council for the Family and um, give talks, and they're, they're fabulous. They're almost empty nesters. I think they have one daughter in college, but she lives, she's going to college right near home. So, you know, they're all kind of on the other end of the, the family life spectrum from the Calluses, who they just had a baby this this last year. Uh, so they've got little kids at home. Um, and it's just really wonderful to see how all these different couples are praying together. And then at the end of this download, which you can get on our website, which is canafeast.com, uh, C-A-N-A feast.com. 
at the end of this, after you've read through all the examples of how these other couples are praying with each other, we give you a quick start guide for what are some ways that you can decide to pray together with your spouse. You know, we talk about time of day, what kind of words you use. Do you want to use memorized words or spontaneous words? Do you want to include touch, like hold hands or bless each other with the sign of the cross on your forehead? Um, so that's really what we're offering to couples to just get them started on that journey of going deeper in their relationship with each other and with God. I, I think that's so great because I, it is not the easiest of things. Um, praying, it's so intimate and so personal. And I think even, even within a mm-hmm. couple to have, first off, I, I, to have people that are, that are, that are doing it. I, I'm, I'm sure that probably some of these will even say that maybe they struggled with it. Hopefully. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. so that we can relate to that, but I mean, to be encouraged yeah. to do that because we're meant to do it. Um, and for you to give this to us. So all you people out there, make sure to go to Cana Feast and, and it's free. I mean, just download it and, um, and use it. And um, anyway, really excited about, about that. Did you have something Thaddeus? Yeah, I was just going to ask Dr. Bartell to just re- reflect on kind of what Trey was pointing to of prayer is a very intimate thing. You don't, you kind of don't realize how intimate of a thing it is until you're put in a position to pray spontaneously or very in kind of great detail with your spouse. And then I know there's plenty of times where I feel almost yeah sheepish about before burying my my soul in front of yeah, my wife you, that way before you do because I was thinking what came to mind and maybe you can comment on this and it's springboarding off what you say Thaddeus what I find is the most difficult is that when I'm really praying when I'm praying by my with God I, I'm not afraid to make myself vulnerable right. I'm not afraid to say right, you know, I'm right. struggling with this or you know but when you're with your spouse for lots of reasons, particularly as a man, and maybe it's the same for a woman, but I'm I'm only familiar with the man side of this deal. But 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 good, that, good. That 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 I I don't want to let her know that I'm concerned about this right. or afraid of that or you know that I have mm-hmm. you know it's not just like I don't want her to know that I'm struggling with X. It's more like I want her to can't be able to count on you know I'm strong enough exactly to deal with this even though with God I'm going hey really kind of afraid. Yeah. You know. That's exactly it. It is a lot of vulnerability and it is really intimate. And that's exactly why it bonds couples so much when they are able to pray together. You know, Nathan and I, my husband and I have been doing marriage ministry for about a decade now, leading marriage retreats, doing marriage prep. And, you know, we know all the, the communication skills to teach couples. Um, you know, making I statements and that sort of thing. None of them have anywhere near the impact on how a couple is actually doing, how they're actually communicating as much as prayer together. It's so powerful because it is incredibly, like you create that spiritual intimacy when you are able to bear your soul, just like you said. And it don't, don't worry, it is um, for women as well. You know, it is an act of uh, really opening yourself up to let your spouse see, you know, what you're, what's really on your heart. But that's why I'm so grateful for these couples who share right. their own examples. And like you said, you know, not all of them do it the same way. And a lot of their ideas are things I think a lot of listeners can relate to. Like one of my friends, Jason Kidd, is the director for Marriage and Family Life in the Diocese of Portland in Oregon. And he and his um beautiful wife, Sarah, the, a lot of how their prayer together works is by text messaging. They'll text each other throughout the day, like, hey, can you offer one up for me? I'm having, a, you know, a, um, a situation huh. here at home or at work that, you know, I'd love you to pray for. And, um, you know, so I think that takes a little bit of the, like, cringe factor out of it, where if a couple wow. who has not been in the habit of praying together when they hear about couple prayer, they're like, oh, that sounds so, you know, it makes me feel squeamish. I don't think I want to do that. It seems so awkward. But you can ask each other by text for prayers. And that's still, you know, sharing your spiritual life. So that's in encouraging. A, that's encouraging way. because, because and this is frequently the case that like when you think you have a picture in your mind of this is what it is. But when you said that, I'm thinking, I mean, just the last week, the texts going back between me and Stephanie and and our kids during finals and everything have been mm-hmm. 
and all the struggles and different things that are going on for for Brian, our our good friend, the the you know all the prayers that are being asked. So maybe we are doing a little bit of praying together. <laughs> I don't oh, know, but yeah. I mean, sometimes you're that's an encouraging thing that I never really thought about it as being a a, a mode or a a way of at least praying together. Yeah, and I, this yeah. is not exactly praying together, but I want to compliment my wife. Something that she does is anytime she sees numbers on the clock, the digital readout of a clock that are the same, then she says a Hail Mary for me. Awesome. Oh, that's really sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so like 111 or 444, exactly. and that's a Hail Mary for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because I thought it was just a weird thing I did where I there's a thing with numbers on the clock for me as well. My husband's mm -hmm. birthday is March 19th. So three nineteen. Mm -hmm. So whenever I see, I'm driving down the road and I see gas prices are at three nineteen, three dollars and nineteen cents. <laughs> or when I see on the clock that it's, it's three nineteen in the wow. afternoon, I pray for my husband. <laughs> the three nineteen, the three nineteen a gallon. Yeah, <laughs> kind of freaking me out. If y'all lived in Texas, he would not be getting as many prayers. <laughs> right. Thank God. Oh, uh, yeah. Not. Washington State gas taxes. Is that it? Is it cheaper for you? Oh, much. I paid two oh six. Yeah, is what I paid this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Anyway, wow. I did. I never would have thought of that. That's kind of yeah. Both. We're of gonna be praying, like, well, yeah, we're praying for y'all. We're praying for y'all. But uh, now you're all gonna be praying for us with our expensive gas. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Exactly. But uh, but I, the, the memory <laughs> things like so, Stephanie. It's funny. Uh, you know, we one of our bigger arguments early on in our marriage was about the the tags that go on um, they go on um, shirts when they come home from the dry cleaning. You know, the little green tags that are typically mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I was notorious for for leaving them all kinds of places. Every place other than where I've uh, re that I've found uh, is where they belong, which is in the trash. So now when I take them off, I'll always say a quick prayer for Stephanie when I take them off and put them in the trash. Um, oh, and I guess true. hopefully when she sees them somewhere else, which hopefully that doesn't happen, she might say a prayer for me as well. <laughs> but anyway. I love it. But I think, but I think the, the little things like that that help remind you, hey, you know, now's the time to just a quick glance towards heaven, you know, um, for my spouse or for my child or for whomever. Um, those are good to have throughout the day. Things that they would happen. Are. So. Yeah, and even just if you want to go deeper and really pour your heart out, we've got an example of um, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. You oh, know, yeah. they uh -huh. have written tons of books on Catholic marriage and family life. They have a radio show. They give talks. Right. Um, they share their example of how they pray together in bed before getting out of bed for this morning. So, oh, and the, and it's just this beautiful, like you know, let's be all we can be as a married couple for God kind of prayer. And I'm like, wow, that that was really inspiring. Wow. And then, yeah. yeah also, we have um, Dr. Mario Sacasa in New Orleans. He's a theologian and psychologist, and he and his wife Kristen pray. He's I think a lot of couples can relate to this. He said sometimes it's just a quick Hail Mary before we conk out at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, crawling into bed after so much going on. Um, you know, so it doesn't have to be like fancy or elaborate. It's just just connecting together with God really boosts your communication, your feeling closeness and bonded. So that's why we wanted to make this available to couples. So yeah, they so. know wherever they are right now, there's something they can do to add in a little more prayer together as a couple. That's so awesome. Yeah. That so canafeast.com, mm -hmm. make sure, and there's a free couple prayer guide. So you people out there listening, go and, um, and download it. Um, so any, any yeah. other, it, we got that. She said it's a great uh, resource and wanted to make sure that everybody knew about that and knew what uh, Sarah's doing and, and her husband. And um, so the rest of this time, I thought it would be really cool. And, and Sarah, you had pointed this out, but we've, done, we've tried to do this because I think everybody um, is always looking for things that they can do. But during this Advent and Christmas season, um, things that we can do to enjoy uh the liturgical year for where it is. And I mean, I think that every time I, I love having 
rituals in our family. I love having things that we do together that the kids can look forward to, particularly during this year. And I noticed a few things, but you have a ton of uh, quite a few articles that I that I pulled up bits and pieces of, but um, but to try to help people yeah. have have some more ideas on what they can do during Advent and Christmas. Oh, it's such a beautiful time of the year in the church year, and there's so much going on, with especially with families, to get ready for Christmas, that it's mm-hmm. just really been a personal mission of mine to reclaim Advent for the domestic yes. church. We, to we really, yeah, do you feel that too? Well, no, we just, I was just talking about the fact that, you know, we, I mean, I have, I have a good friend that not not Catholic, but I always joke because I remember being there on December 26th and, and, and he's already taken everything off the tree. He's walking out and as he's oh. walking out the door, he's going, stop living in the past. It's time to move on. And, uh, and, oh, and, and I, and I think, good. no, I think it's, I think it's, um, we have to, cause we're, I mean, we actually, we extend this thing for a long time. I mean, all the big, oh, you know, Christmas yeah. and Easter, we, we're, Catholics are, it is from a spiritual standpoint, we're partiers. I mean, we, we want to oh, do, yeah. I mean, we want to, we prolong this because it's worthy of being something we celebrate for some time. And Advent in preparation of it, uh, of that time of feasting and celebra- celebration is, um, I think it's important to be, you know, it's not, we're not doing all that for one day. We're doing all that for the entire Christmas season to come, right? Yes, it really is. You know, one day is not enough to celebrate right. Christmas. The church has it like one, it, it stretches that one day out into eight days for the octave. Right. So the liturgy, the mass for each of those days, it's sort of like it's Christmas all over again for eight days. And then you get the whole season for weeks and weeks after that, well into you know, usually about the second week of January for them um, when it finally, you know, we have Epiphany and then the uh, Sunday after that, the baptism of the Lord. So, yes, the Christmas season just extends and that is supposed to be time of great celebration. Um, and then the Advent season, like you said, it's the time of preparation. So mm-hmm. it's not the feast yet. It's the getting ready for the feast by praying and going into silence and even a little penance, a little bit like Lent. I mean, not quite as, not quite as penitential as Lent, but a little bit. Um, So it's, it really requires Catholic families to be Mm countercultural if they want to live with the rhythm of the church, which is our call. We're called to be domestic churches, a small, you know, little outpost of your parish church right there in your home. And, uh, Boy, it takes, I tell you, as a mom, (laughs) and I'm sure you've seen it too, you really have to just pretty much live opposite how the whole world is around you to create that space, right? It's it's difficult. Like for us, you know, I've talked about this recently, but with our Christmas tree right now, we we decorate the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. Now that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) most people are like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, most of them are coming down. Right now, our Christmas tree has just white lights on it and some purple um, ribbon mm-hmm. on it. Th- that's Ooh. not th- that or it. it. We we call it. It's the Advent tree right now. It's the Advent you know, tree. And normally, we do, I'm I'm really a little concerned because we we bought it earlier because everybody was in town and we wanted to do it with all the kids in town. <laughs> normally, we wait so that we can have it through the entire Christmas season. I'm just praying that it that it doesn't die on us before. <laughs> But yeah, it's getting, it. it's not crispy quite yet, but, but normally, like I said, we, we have done like as late as like this, like this past weekend, which, you know, people like you're really buying a tree right now, but I said, yeah, but we're going to have it till mid January. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's a Christmas tree. So it, you keep it up during the Christmas season, which does not end December 26th. It begins. December 25th. And it's then a, last, and I, it's a whole day. Eight day mm-hmm. day. I mean, how, I mean, it's an eight, right. <laughs> tell the kids it's an eight day day. Maybe some people are like, uh, I've had enough of it, but it's awesome to celebrate it. It's every day is Christmas for eight days. Well, I mean, if you start Christmas the day after Thanksgiving, but yeah, yeah. By December right. 25th, you are going to be worn out and ready to, to, to move on. Right. But that's, 
that's why you can't. That's why you have Advent. My daughter, that's my right. daughter, uh, we were driving home through our neighborhood one night, and uh, just recently, and she no, she remarked to me, Papa, some of the some of the people there their nativity scenes they have Jesus already in the in the crib right. why why is that and i i said well probably there's a good chance that a lot of them are not catholic and so they don't they don't have a tradition of of celebrating advent they don't have that kind of time of pause and and waiting that would um lead them to maybe not want to put Christ yeah. in in the crib or to illuminate the 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 lights in the crib for 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 Jesus because you know that's part of doing something like that not not putting out Jesus right now is very distinctly catholic because our religion is a lot about using signs and symbols right. for bigger truths bigger um, realities, realities yeah. that we maybe can't see or we don't always think about. And that's cool. That's cool because uh, 70s family, the neat thing about her family that it's something that's taken over is not only is the baby not, um, the baby Jesus not in the crib or the in the mm-hmm. manger, but but her mother used to move the wise men like throughout the house, like, tra- no, like traveling, oh, like traveling okay. throughout the house to get there. And then, you know, anyway, um, so is it at Christmas or at Epiphany that the wise men finally make it to the the stable? Well, Epiphany the, the would be would be would be when we would do it. I don't know if that's how they did it in the past, but I, but now we <laughs> baby Jesus comes on Christmas, and then the the wise men show up. I think the few the the years that we've had that, that tradition in our our family, it sort of depends on the level of patience. That the children are just, you know, exhibiting that right. year. Some years they're yeah. patient enough to let the, uh, to let the wise men yeah. make it until you know not arrive until Epiphany. Other years they they want yeah, everybody I mean, there you know. on Christmas, <laughs> right? And so, That's well, so neat. so well, we, I wanna, yeah, I we want to talk about you. Go ahead and take that, please. Okay. Take it. Go with some things that you've done as well. Oh, well, just um, I I really like what Trace or what um. Thaddeus said about people are sick of Christmas by December 26th because something my youth group director said when I was in high school really stuck with me. He said, the way of the church is first the fast and then the feast. Yes. And the way of the world is first the feast and then the hangover. Right? <laughs> and I think we see that with how, uh, how the world that. celebrates Christmas. We have like a Christmas hangover by December 26th when it's been you know, everything Christmas, all the Christmas cookies and, you know, all the the feasting and everything all throughout the month of December. But if we take that time instead for a pause, for delaying the gratification, for prayerful traditions like the Jesse tree or, you know, lighting the Advent wreath at the family table at dinner and, um, you know, just really finding ways to to just make it a time of a little bit more silence. Um, yeah, then when Christmas comes, yay, you're ready to celebrate. And then it takes some intentionality, too, to keep that festive atmosphere going December 26th through uh, this year. It's going to be January 12th. The baptism of the Lord wow. is January 12th. Right. So the whole world has around us, all the stores, you know, they've got their weight loss equipment out now. <laughs> by early January, Right. But we in our homes, this is the time for Christmas cookies and parties. And sometimes it's hard to find, um, you know, other folks who want to be celebrating after December 25th. But what we've done is we found other Catholic families like us who really want to live the liturgical yeah. season in mm-hmm. harmony with the church. And we'll just make an epiphany party for our families. And you know, you just get a few Catholic families together and it fills up the house and makes it <laughs> makes it festive pretty quickly. Yeah, and for us the cool thing for uh, as particularly as the people who've gotten older, uh, epiphany is always the weekend that we go to my parents, not to my dad. Oh, and and that's always please. been when we do we little Christmas, I guess we'd call it, you know, where everybody goes. And now it's gotten become where all our family gathers together on that, on the epiphany, uh, on that weekend. So anyway, oh, but, that's wonderful. but I mean, those are just things that, like you said, if you listen to what, I mean, I was listening to what you were saying. I'm thinking, you know, the world needs that sense. I mean, the expectation, I remember like when we were 
when I was younger, my my grandmother had I don't know she knitted sewed I don't know what it was, but it was a countdown to Christmas. You know, it was the twenty you know twenty five days that started, you know January. I mean December first, and the anticipation um, leading up to that that day was. It's still to this day, I honestly, at 54 years old, soon to be 55, Aww. I get giddy around that time. I mean, I can just go, I'll just go sit out by the tree, you know, just in quiet and the lights flashing at night. You know, I just think that's such a, um, a great, um, time. I still feel like a little kid during, during that Aww. time. So anyway, Beautiful. but, um, I but, love it. But you you had several articles that I thought there were some really cool things about some some um, things that you could do to to celebrate during this time. And one of them that jumped out to me, which I think is worth at least worth mentioning, are, are some stories um, that were great. One of them you have is one of our favorite. <laughs> one of our favorites. Oh, which one? Jotham's journey and and uh, oh yeah. For years we're on the journey with Jotham as well, <laughs> but. I mean, Are you guys doing it with your family? Yeah, because of the the Cashin's recommendations. Over do the, the last kid, do your kids oh. like it nearly like ours? Do oh yeah, they look forward to it every every Advent now. This is I think the third year that we've we've done it. Yeah, last year our our freshman in college came home and was disappointed that we hadn't done it because we were just off kilter. I mean, he was he was, I mean, he didn't get home till December, you know, seventeenth or eighteenth. So we hadn't done it. But he was like, I love that uh-huh. story at, you know, 19 oh, years old, you know. And so it was it was something that we did for probably a decade solid every year, you know. Oh, wow. But I but I loved it because it was because it's a, it's it's a great story. It's kind of a mystery. It kind of, you know, comes together in the end and brings all these different people um, that we're all familiar with from a different angle. We're all familiar with it from the Christmas story. Um in a way that makes it fun, exciting. And it's like anything you, even though you know how it's going to end, you still like going back and and reading it. So what's your favorite? Yeah. What's one of your favorite stories? that you? Like well, for, I just want to help listeners know how cool Jotham's journey and the other books by Arnold Etriide are. Um, there, yes. So our, we have a lot of girls in our family. So yeah. we did read Jotham's journey, I think at least two years. And so this follows, so you read a chapter a day each day in December leading up to Christmas, um, and you follow the adventures of this Palestinian boy Jotham as he, uh, you know, goes around the Holy Land and then he ends up at, you know, um, right, doesn't he end up at the manger in Bethlehem? Yes. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for Jesus' birth. But along the way, yeah, he meets different characters that we know from the Bible and has his own, it's an original narrative it's so clever and just a really great way to build up that anticipation but we have um, and, and he is a real he's a real kid too in terms of his yes. the way he acts and what he's concerned about and right it's it's he's very realistic i think that's something that also the children the kids, the kids like identify they, with they do great and there's a girl one tabitha's travel yep, we did so that that's one that our family of <laughs> we've liked that as well and i think there's also lent I think there's a Lent and Easter story by the same author. So, you know, um, these are great gifts. What I tell a lot of people, if maybe their kids have grown up already, no worries. You can still buy wonderful Christmas and Easter books for your godchildren, your nieces and nephews, your grandchildren. And it's such a great way to help them connect with the mysteries you're celebrating. But my very favorite, very, very favorite Christmas children's book for little kids is the Donkey's Dream by Barbara Helen Berger. I just love the illustrations in this book. It's just really luminous, and the text is very gentle and almost—it's uh, almost poetic or lullaby-ish or whatnot. It's just, it just has a sort of hushed tone of expectation and reverence and beauty and mystery. Um, it's metaphysical too. The um, the donkey thinks that it's carrying a rose on its back and it thinks it's carrying a city on its back and um, uh, like a fountain. So that it, it incorporates all these symbols for who the Blessed Mother is in her role as Christ bearer and what that means. So I think that that's part of what appeals to me about it. But I've bought this book over and over and I've given it as baby gifts or as Christmas gifts to kids. And if it's not... Um, 
you know, if I didn't think ahead for the party that we're going to where someone needs a gift, I'll just pull it off of our own shelf. And my kids, (laughs) (laughs) they got a little frustrated with this. So they took uh, a copy that we had on the shelf and they wrote in it, from the Bartels to the Bartels. This is our (laughs) own copy. If you receive this copy by mistake, return it to the Bartels. And they wrote my phone number on it. So now that one has to stay on our shelf, but I just have to give it so much. (laughs) That is great. Well, yeah, but I love, I mean, I think I love the, the sitting down and reading together, the making that time, at least to some prayerful time to just, and to a read, I mean, it's not like Jotham's journey or whichever one, whether it's reading a story mm-hmm. in, in its entirety or something that's like that, this day to day. I mean, um, you know, you know, one uh, part of the story one day, what I found about Jotham's journey, which is, has always been a struggle is when you get to the end, it's always got a cliffhanger, you know, like, Something just happened, and the kid, come on, read one more chapter. Oh, you know, it's, it's without like, fail. Yeah, so that's a, and you. Then, but the cool thing is, is that particularly as they're younger, um, they want to. They're looking forward to the next night, which again, it's a great tool, I guess, to encourage to actually make people. Yeah, let's get together and do that. I want to hear what's next in the story, and then being able to use that to to develop the habit of coming together praying together, talking about the story, all, all those type of things that I that I think it's easy, at least in our family, for us to miss those opportunities and, and for it to not be a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. when you say, hey, let's everybody, we got to get, well, I got to go do this, I got to go do that, to have something that we all are like excited about coming together around mm-hmm. is a good habit to, to make, and it's it certainly is. nice to have um, that so I I would encourage anybody out there to find any one of them. And Jotham's journey is a rich enough story too that it seems like various of us, either my wife and I or some of our older children, there are a couple times during Advent where you every year where you you notice something different about the story that you oh. missed before, or you you see a, a a connection between parts of the story that you didn't see before, or it speaks to something in in your life or your experience that you didn't think about before. So uh, that's, that's, that's really, really nice. Too. It really is helping your own spiritual mm-hmm. preparation. And we have, you know, um, there's some family conversation. Older. Yeah. Well, reading aloud has so many layers of good that it does for our hearts, our relationships, our souls. You know, there's all this great research that shows that we never grow out of benefiting from hearing books read aloud, even as adults, even as teenagers, that um, it develops our minds. It creates greater um, capacity for empathy in us when we can, you know, put ourselves mentally inside the story that we're listening to. And like you said, Trey, yeah, just gathering the family together, creating that experience of, of bonding, of having a common experience together, that is so much what we need today when activities and screens are pulling us in different directions or you know, isolating us in our in our experiences in family life so that we're not sharing together as much. So, yeah, I just really, really love reading aloud for all those reasons. And because it's a sort of a meditation in a sense as well. Absolutely. You know, you're enjoying the story, but your mind is reflecting on uh, some aspect of the mystery of, of Christmas. And I love to use, we like to use books, read aloud in our family to really help extend that spirit of um, living the Christmas season past Mm -hmm. December 25th as well. So even if our local store has packed up its uh, Christmas merchandise and (laughs) and now it's weight loss merchandise (laughs) that's taken up the front displays, in our home, we can light some candles, we can make hot chocolate, and we can cuddle up with blankets and read some of these fabulous Christmas stories. And and it it still feels like Christmas in our home. Um, so I, I really like that. And I think, well. it, I think I think I go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, oh, I was just going to say some of our favorite stories. You know, there are stories for all ages too. Like reading around, reading aloud Charles Dickens' um, A Christmas Carol. That's another one that can really touch the minds of older kids as well. But go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just I was just thinking. You know, it, it it's just a. It's fun when people come over because most people have shut down their house come the 25th. So we have people that come over. They're like, all the decorations are up. There's nothing down. I mean, the lights are still uh-huh. 
on and and I and it's like it is a chance also for some people like what are you still doing particularly like you know a week or 10 days in and it's still up people like really your christmas tree is still up hey it's still christmas you know we're catholic (laughs) you can share and witness yeah (laughs) so i think that it does provide that opportunity um to um evangelize or at least share the the catholic sense uh of it being something that should be celebrated for more than one just one day and and should be following a fast as opposed to that time being a hangover, <laughs> which I like that. I'd never heard that before, but I think that was, I think that's a great point. Um, in, on, on the stories. That, so stories is one of the things that I think is always good. I, I was looking at, and I don't know if we can get this on there, but you had sent a number of, of articles to us and we hadn't really talked mm-hmm. about it, but, but one of the ones that, that jumped out to me, cause it is crazy. The, if, and maybe you want to talk about it or some of the tips for, a more peaceful Christmas was one. Oh, I mean, because I, I think it <laughs> yeah. can get can get a little out of hand <laughs> sometimes uh, around the house um, for Boy, different reasons. Yeah, what a shock for me! You know, I loved Christmas growing up when it was my parents making everything happen, <laughs> right. and then what a shock when I got married and had kids and realized, oh, this all doesn't happen automatically. Like I'm the one, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Do all the work. Hey, for any listeners <laughs> out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they may be experiencing that for the first time. Yeah, it's it's some work. But but how do you how do you yeah. do that? I, there's a, some great points on here. Um, well, yeah, you know, I like to reflect first on the fact that the very first Christmas that the Holy Family experienced, this was not just you know sitting around and uh, sipping hot chocolate and looking at Christmas lights. This was a stressful time for them. Yes. you know, there's Mary about to give birth any minute while she's on the road and you know, they have to find a place in Bethlehem for her to, to, um, to give birth. And, you know, you could not that she would have said this cause she's a blessed mother, but other wives could have said something like, what do you mean you didn't make reservations? Ahead of time? <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> right? uh, but I think, so I they think they had to just adapt and they had to, they had to find the peace, um, you know, not in the external circumstances, but in God's grace, in the in the presence of Jesus. So and we can do that too. I love that yeah. because I think it's important for us that, that at least talking like through, and sometimes it's connecting the dots for kids, and particularly as they're older, to do what you just did, which is to really reflect on what that was like. Because it's, it's so often made to look like everything was perfect, but in reality— it was kind of nightmarish to a certain extent that a, a husband's coming with his pregnant with a pregnant wife and oh he's got no place to stay. And then, oh, yippee, we get to stay in a barn with a bunch of barn animals. I mean, I think sometimes we think it. I think if we think of it as like, oh, you can stay in our garage, that's sort of similar to what this hospitality would have been like. Exactly. And, and I think it, I think that's a good habit and it can, it extends to other ways of reading scripture, but it's a good time to think, Hey, this was, let's, let's really think about what was going on here. Um, Cause that manger scene in our house, it's in a warm, I mean, this would have been happening in and amidst some smells that most people don't mm-hmm. like being around at all. Fine. You know, all the different things that would have been different and how I've sometimes thought about St. Joseph and what he must've been going through. Because there's been times when I haven't been able to provide or things haven't gone the way I wanted. And how, I mean, of course, he's St. Joseph, but I mean, he had to have been experiencing some level of, I cannot believe I'm, I'm supposed to be taking care of God's son here and I'm all in on this and I can't even find a place for my wife to have a baby. I mean, how disconcerting, how much suffering internally I think I would have felt like I cannot believe that I my my ba- my my wife is going to have this baby in amidst the donkeys and the cows and whatever other animals are in here. Yeah, it's interesting, Trey. You mentioned that makes me think about our Lord went uh, he 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 went out of this life suffering. We know that right. story, but a lot of times we forget that he came into this life suffering. Absolutely, um, and, and that kind of brings his his earthly life full circle in, in a sense. There's a certain balance to that that 
often gets overlooked because of the way we we tend to kind of romanticize the nativity. Do you think it's a? Do you think, Sarah? Do you think there's a a way? Because I'm thinking aloud here, a way of maybe even teaching our kids that this is kind of how we should read or attempt to read scripture, putting ourselves in that situation. Do you think this is maybe a chance to do that? Because there, it's such a heightened focus on this, and the kids are typically excited about it. It's a lot easier to get kids around thinking about these things than, you know, trying to make it up or or pulling them from these different other activities that they have that this time seems to be a little bit more of a downtime with kids wanting to be focused on the story and then maybe adding to it. Um, it's kind of Lexio Divina kind of, right? Sarah? Uh-oh. Did we, we may have lost her. Um, oh, there, are you there? I don't know if you. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know okay. if you had heard. I, I, I just, I just asked you a question, which I'm not sure whether you heard or not, but the question was, do you think that this um, time frame particularly as we kind of put ourselves into that scene in Bethlehem, whether it's, you know, like I said, it's St. Joseph being somebody that, that I could relate to as a dad is I cannot believe I've, I can't find a, like a bedroom, <laughs> you know, to where my wife can have this child and the, the, even the suffering that's in that moment that is often, I think, overlooked. It's such a joyous time. Not that you want to dwell on that, but maybe getting your, do you, do you think there's a sense that you can kind of teach your children how to put themselves into a story, which I think is something that's encouraged by the church with regard to reading scripture? Oh, yeah, yeah such a great way to, to pray and meditate. And absolutely, and it can be really natural, too. You know, maybe even after reading together one of those great Christmas children's books that we just talked about, wow. or even reading the narrative of the infancy in the Gospels, or to even just coming home from church and talking about it, that you can absolutely just ask them questions and draw them into reflecting on that, that this wasn't all just, um, you know, a Christmas card <laughs> type of a situation, but there were real questions and anxieties and dangers. My goodness, the Holy Family had to flee in order just to keep their baby alive. They had to flee that... to Egypt. So it really is. Um, and I think kids, you know, they're drawn to, um, to to drama and excitement. And the, this infancy story really has it there. So you can definitely draw that out. And I think, too, um, something that is important is um, just when you draw out the connections between the light. And I think you alluded to this earlier. One of you did that Jesus was he came here to suffer and the suffering, you know, he was born in, in a sense. Into that was me. I said that. Have... You're brilliant. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a callback. Uh... <laughs> if anyone's read Carolyn Houselander's book, The um, Wood of the Cradle, The Wood of the Cross, hmm. he uh... reflects on this as well. And you can talk with your kids and they're smart. They'll connect the dots. You can talk about the wood of the manger and then Jesus dying on the wood of the cross. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes at his birth, and then he, at his death, right. when he's taken off the cross, he's wrapped in linen. Wow. He's born into a cave, and where is he laid? In the tomb, in mm -hmm. the earth, in a cave. There's all these connections where Jesus' birth foreshadows his death. And, you know, that's a, a neat aha moment for kids to see that. Right, even the even the gifts of the of the magi, right, or they foreshadow what he's everything about. Yeah, him. some of them are the some of those gifts are specifically for burial uh, purposes, right? Right, and so that's right. The embalming, the, the spices for embalming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is it the myrrh? I think myrrh. Yeah, the myrrh. myrrh. Right, there's that song. We like that song, the We Three Kings song. It's all right. cheerful, and uh, you know, we're talking about gold fit for king. And then there's that one verse: sorrowing, sighing, suffering, dying, mm -hmm. laid in a stone cold tomb. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. that's the myrrh verse. <laughs> the, the myrrh verse. <laughs> but the, but yeah. I think I again to be purposeful as a parent. I mean, we always talk about that, but. There's so much richness in this, and and God, you know, has chosen everything from from the sacraments 
all the way down to the way he came to this earth and what 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 all is revealed that that for us to just leave it as this simple story without kind of diving into this is what was happening this is what's going on and and helping connect the dots sometimes to show that i've found that when you do that as kids get older they'll start what do you think about this or how do you think the connection on that and that's what you want your children to do and that comes from i think helping them connect those dots you don't want to do a dissertation on it but just that story that you just told about the connection between the the events of the birth and and the the event of his death mm-hmm. i think that's really important yeah and i i have two two things first of all you're talking to two PhDs here. Let's not be denigrating know, dissertations, okay? Oh, no, no. On, I wouldn't even know what a cool. dissertation I'm not smart enough to do a dissertation. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not concise enough not to. Uh, yeah. um, secondly, to go back to the trying to observe the difficulties and the sufferings of the nativity, um, I, I come from an Italian-American family heritage, and for years, I mean, I grew up with us eating fish on December 24th, a seven, yeah, a, a seven fish meal. And I only recently learned because of wanting to know not only about the liturgical calendar now, but, you know, just the, the history and development of the liturgical calendar. So at, at one time, the vigil of Christmas, December 24th, was actually a day of fasting, and so that's mm-hmm. why fish was yes. part of that Italian tradition. And I think, I don't know, maybe maybe bringing, bringing that back, or if that's something that you already have from your, your family heritage, um, speak about that and talk about that, that yes. we don't just do it because that's what we've always done, but the church gave us this fast to make us, to help us to enter into the suffering of the Holy Family in anticipation of the hope and the joy of the nativity. So there you go. I think beautiful. that's beautiful. And I think a lot of cultures do that too, don't they? I think I had a friend who had um, a Polish or Croatian traditional Christmas dinner that also was a meatless mm-hmm. dinner mm-hmm. Um, for that reason, because mm-hmm. it used to be a fast day. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we can try to maybe just pull off on the Christmas cookies through December and stay, you know, keep them in the freezer. Right. Maybe just have a few on Gouda Day Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But then, um, you know, and, and I guess if we try to interpret that into contemporary Americans, you know, how, how can we make it some sacrifice and penance during Advent and then some feasting during the, the actual liturgical Christmas season? I don't know. For me, maybe this just shows my attachments, but for me, I'm thinking about the Christmas cookies. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I, one of the things I think we're all pointing to is the need to help our kids understand why we do certain things. That's really a bigger picture than just Christmas. But I mean, I think that's where people lack. They're just like they grew up. I don't know how many people I talked to that they just grew up. Well, we just did that. Well, why would you do? Why why do you do that? And it's really the why that makes it their own. Because yep. if they start just doing it, it's not bad. But if they can't explain why or point to this is the reason that we did this, and then that somehow ties to their faith and to the practice of their faith and why they believe yep. in what the Lord has done and all those type of things, then you're really missing the point. Yep. Don't you think? I Sarah? love the why. Yes, the purpose is really makes it so much more, uh, so much more meaningful. You know, the why to continue to do something year after year if it has a purpose that points us to Jesus. That's what I'm really interested in, especially with Catholic home family traditions. Um, but yeah, you can get some some raised eyebrows, you know, if you're not <laughs> if you're not jingling the bells and eating all the Christmas cookies, um, you know, all during December. But instead, I don't know, have you guys heard about the sacrifice manger tradition? That's one we've done in our home. No, no. I, we have about I three minutes left. We have three, but go ahead and use that one because I, I think I know what oh, you're talking about. Go ahead and do well, it. Sure. So you have like a basket or something that represents the manger for mm-hmm. baby Jesus. And then next to it, a little container with straw or whatever. Or yarn. We do yarn. can yeah. work. And you put each time someone in the family says an extra prayer, does a work of kindness or charity, or makes a sacrifice, they can put a straw 
in the manger to make a nice fluffy bed for baby Jesus. And then Christmas Day, the baby Jesus doll goes in the manger. I think that really connects really, you know, concretely what we've been talking about. And the, and the cool thing, I love that. We do, we've do we done that. And, and on and to extend it to Easter, my wife would put have a crown of thorns and we would take we'd have uh, toothpicks in there as thorns and yes. and as they and as as acts of sacrifice or whatever they'd pull them out and they could take the thorns out to make the crown not so prickly i guess so uh those two kind of go hand too. i love it oh do you okay yeah. cool but I, but again i we're down to this last part and i and i want you to have like maybe the last minute or so to tie it together um but i always love having you on Sarah and and also always feel like it could be longer but that's what we'll have you back so so maybe for, we got a little bit about about a minute or so if anything you'd like to that we hadn't talked about I just you know what there's this beautiful quote from the catechism about the liturgical year and its purpose we were talking about the why um and I just wanted to share yeah, from ahead. the catechism of the catholic church paragraph 1163 that uh, the church celebrates Every year, together with the Passionate Easter, the most solemn of all feasts, oh, it's talking about all the feasts throughout the church year. In the course of the year, the church unfolds the whole mystery of Christ. Thus, recalling the mysteries of the redemption, she opens up to the faithful the riches of her Lord's power and merit, so that these are in some way made present in every age. The faithful lay hold of them and are filled with saving grace. So that's what the liturgical year does for us. It just makes present the whole mystery of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that's just real passion for me to have us do this in our home. So I make it real for our kids. Thank you so much, Sarah, again. Love having you on. And um, and we'll have you back soon. But everybody, find that, find that catechism. What is it again, Sarah? Oh, 1163. 1163. Y'all, that's y'all's challenge going forward on this. But thank you, Sarah. And um, always, all you people out there, remember, um, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And um, he will. Pray for us. We'll pray for you. Happy Advent. And um, looking forward to an eight-day Christmas. God bless you. (laughs) God bless you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.